This is my exit plan. Tony, John and Venus. They complete the famous five. I know, not famous, but there's five of us. And Venus is a bit like Timmy the dog, if you remember the old TV show. Probably not. Look, I think I think it was a book series too by Enid Blyton, but I could be wrong. Hey, Beatrice, she encouraged us and put us on the right course, I think. And the rest of us, we kicked ass. Hopefully it will be a repeat performance tonight. I met Venus. Uh, look, I've got this journal. It'll be easy to play this back. Well, it's my first day at Gemwell today. I'm pretty excited to be working here. Seems so cool and modern. Uh, last week's date with Beatrice was an even mix of frightening, amazing and fun. She's a very funny and intelligent woman. I can't believe she went out with me. You know, We went to dinner, we talked about stuff. We touched on the esoteric and some myths and legends. Beatrice is fully inner demons and angels. Not as real beings wandering about, smiting and tempting but I think rather as symbols of purity and corruption. Although, I think I think maybe they are real beings. I mean, why not? Look, she's got a great philosophical view of the world. I raise the possibility that the murders and, and missing people in Perth might be due to people giving in to the demonic side of their nature. She fully agreed. I think she might be open to believing in more than what appears on the surface. You know, magic and vampires and junk. Oh, yeah. Okay, like, yeah, I, I still have trouble saying that. It, saying it out loud sort of feels, feels a little bit silly, really. Okay, well, anyway, I'm off. I can't be late today. Just a quick note on my first day. I'm having lunch with a consulting accountant named Venus Lee. She works for Anthony Redmond Accounting and is seconded to Gemworld to help uh, with uh, an upcoming audit. Anyway, she's pretty cool and has taken me out to lunch. She's just ducked off for some reason, maybe the toilet. But I, I thought I'd take a note for my journal while I wait. I mean, she's, she's pretty intense. I asked if she had ever thought about what it meant for something to be considered magic and she got all well. Well, that's when she got intense. And she said with a straight face, magic? Demons, monsters, they're all real, you know. I've seen it. I was shocked and had to blink a few times to be sure I wasn't hallucinating. But she was just staring at me, examining my reaction. I've seen some pretty crazy stuff, I said. Like what? I saw a guy burst into fire when sunlight touched him and he didn't show up on my camera when I tried to take a photo. Wait here, I'll be back. That was her response. She got up, looked back at me once, and then hurried off. Uh, it might not be the toilet she's gone to. Like, the way she reacted was pretty odd. What if she works for a vampire or something that doesn't want anyone knowing about this stuff? Uh, probably shouldn't have opened my mouth. In the movies, there's always some super secret government organization working to cover this sort of thing up. 
Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I can just imagine that. Not here in Australia. I've worked for the government before. And yeah, no, not happening. Anyway, oh, look, she's coming back and no black sunglasses wearing goons to be seen. So, you know, that's nice. I'm either going to get a black bag put over my head and thrown to a big black van and whisked away to an undisclosed government facility, or I'm going to meet some guy that Venus has a major crush on and his friend. She got back from running next door to Tony Maroney menswear in formal hire, where she apparently lined up this meeting with Tony Maroney himself. Look, Venus clearly has the hots for him, the way her eyes goggled and then glazed when she spoke about him. Now, this Tony guy is a fellow monster enthusiast like Venus, and she, uh, she thinks I simply must meet him and John. So when the police go through these journals for clues as to my disappearance, this might be the last entry they hear. Well, if that's the case, then I'll just say I'm going to meet these guys at Capistrano's Wine and Wood Fire Pizza. Well, Capistrano's is a really nice place. We had some good wine and the pizzas were excellent. I'll paint a little picture of the scene since I don't have a journal entry about the meeting itself. I remember it quite clearly. Capistrano's is set in a little courtyard formed by enclosing what might have once been a car park squeezed between two buildings on the terrace. That's the main drag through Perth. So the main dining and drinking area is actually outside, with each table having its own large umbrella type of covering. Some lights and a gas heater under the hood illuminate each table in a warm yellow-orange glow. At the back, is a covered area in front of a bar with seating and a large wood-fire oven to one side. The place is set up to give you the feeling of an open-air market with little private pockets of intimacy under the glow of the umbrella, hooded lights and heaters. Venus waved me over to the table in the far corner. There was a mural wrapping around the wall behind the table. It showed Romanesque architecture as if the courtyard continued on into Rome. Not that I know what Rome really looks like. Sitting at the table behind Venus, who'd come forward to meet me, were two men. One was a short, light-framed man with black wavy hair, swept to the side, and long enough to reach his left shoulder. He wore a crisp Euro-style suit with a striking yellow silk tie and blue shirt with white collar and cuffs. I could only assume that he was Tony Maroney, owner and manager of Tony Maroney Menswear and Formal Hire. The other man he was talking to was John Tran. John is huge, like 185 centimetres or 6 foot 2 in the old school measure. Uh, I reckon he probably weighed about 110 kilos, which is what, 200 odd, 220 or more pounds? Anyway, none of that was fat. His shaved head, slightly tanned Eurasian skin made him look a bit like a half-Vietnamese Dwayne the Rock Johnson. I remember even then chuckling and shaking my head at poor Venus. She had the hots for Tony. That was clear. But it was also clear that Tony and John were a couple. I'm not sure if Venus knew, that, but maybe she held out the uh, impossible hope. Or if she was oblivious, maybe she, she didn't even know. Like, I'll ask her one day. So I was introduced to Tony and John. Uh, it was like... Um, 
So, so this is Tony and that's John. I'm continuing the Venus impersonation. I'm sorry. But she's a very sort of... Uh, very particular lass in the way she talks. Her energy is, is quite exuberant. So I greeted them and, and shook their hands. They both smiled so warming and really seemed genuinely pleased to meet me. I mean, they're really good guys and I I don't think I could have asked for better friends. I'm... I'm both happy that they came along with me tonight and worried that they'll get hurt because of me. I'm not at all concerned about John, really. I mean, holy crap. What could hurt a demigod like that? He works for Zurich Security and has extensive training as a bodyguard and security specialist, but Tony and Venus, well, a salesman and an accountant. Still, they're not all that soft. I'll dig out and include some journals that show their worth. Well, after the introductions... Things were a little awkward until Venus broke the ice by giving each of us, in turn, a solid, intense stare. We're all experienced something of the real world. You stop telling us your story. She just stared at me, waiting. I felt pretty self-conscious. I looked at the other two, and they were just looking at me too. Not quite so laser eyes that could melt steel as Venus, but still with some intensity. I laughed and looked around. But these guys wouldn't let me off the hook. They just watched me without talking. So, I told them about the Maroi I saw in the Hunter. Though I couldn't be sure and still can't that the Hunter was wearing all those clothes and gloves as protection against the chill touch of the Maroi. Or if there was some other reason for keeping covered up. I theorised it could have been a vampire getting rid of a loose end that could reveal too much, draw attention from the wrong people. But I just don't know. John nodded. Tony glanced at John, and then nodded too. Venus just turned to the others and said, See, Tony? Tony told me this story about his nonna, who had the sight, as they say. She could communicate with spirits, and would keep her town in Capistrano, in the south of Italy, as it turns out, safe, and read fortunes, and so on. So she taught Tony about the spirit world, but it wasn't until nonna was possessed by a demon that Tony believed her. I asked what he meant. How could anyone tell it was a demon and not a dementia or a brain tumour, for example? I'd heard of people being pronounced possessed by a demon, but pretty much just figured that epilepsy or brain damage or something. Tony just looked at me for a moment, apparently composing himself. When he finally spoke, he just said, I saw the demon's true form. I still don't know what that means, and he wouldn't say. It shook me a little because of how earnestly he said it. There was no chance he was joking, and the memory of it clearly affected him, so I left it at that. John also had a strange story. For him, it was more recent. He was working security for a visiting businessman, working on a deal for mining rights, as if there's some other sort here in Perth. Look, they were at a camp in the mid-north of WA. The businessman had gone to bed, and John was doing a walk around before going to bed himself, when he heard a noise from behind the demountable used as an office. He walked around and shone his light expecting to front off a foraging possum or similar. But there was a short, hairy man there apparently trying to break in. John called out to him and moved forward to grab the man. But the man turned his bearded face into the light and snarled, pulling back his lips to reveal sharp, jagged teeth. This alone wouldn't have spooked John. He'd seen all sorts in his line of work. But the little guy suddenly grew larger and hairier until it was something similar to a, a Wookiee, as John described it. 
but it had glowing red eyes and a jaw that unhinged like a snake's. He swore it could have swallowed him whole if he just stood there. Fortunately for John, his experience and training took over, and he clubbed the thing with his mag light and gave it a heavy kick. Apparently that was enough to send this thing on its way. You might wonder how dangerous this monster could have been, but then you haven't seen John in action. He isn't just big with vanity muscles, he knows how to use them. I've seen him throw a 50 kilo dead ball like he was throwing a basketball. So a clubbing from him, followed by a kick, would be like getting hit by a small car, I think. Let's say a Corolla. He was also quite convinced that this encounter couldn't be explained away as anything other than supernatural. And that left Venus. She hadn't personally witnessed anything, but had read of encounters, and she fully believed everything Tony said. I think he could have told her the sky was green and she'd have believed it. Then it came back to me. With the sincerity the others had displayed, I didn't hesitate to recount all the details of my encounter with the Maroi, and then I even told them of my books, and the house, and the, uh, I guess there's some kind of suicide note. That's what impressed them the most, the books, that is. They had looked for real information about, for lack of a better term, the real world, but without any luck. I told them of the magic I'd learned. But though they didn't outright dismiss it, I could tell they could be slower to accept that without a demonstration. I didn't bother at the time, there was too many other things to speak of. After story time, we had a few drinks and ate pizza. I really liked these guys, they got me. That's when Beatrice turned up. She'd stopped by to pick up a pizza to take home when she saw me and Venus and came over to say hi. I was feeling brave and confident, so I introduced Tony and John as Tony... His nonna was possessed by a demon, and this is John. He kicked a bunyip's ass, literally. The guys looked a little taken aback, and in hindsight, it was only because I'd had a couple of beers and was feeling so good that I blurted that out. But B just looked at each of us in turn with her brilliant blue eyes and nodded. Then she looked at me, cocked her head to one side, and after a moment asked, What about you? What have you done or seen? She paused. I was about to say something, I don't know what, when she continued, other than use magic to get a discount on books. She noticed that? I turned to look at Tony, John and Venus, who were looking at me with an appraising eye. Oh, don't be so surprised, said Beatrice. I'm not blind or stupid. You might be interested in what is going on with the missing McCormack girl then. That's all she said before she turned, collected her pizza and left. Who's the missing McCormack girl, I asked. I don't watch the news, it usually just angers and saddens me. It was Venus who answered. Jennifer McCormack is a six-year-old who went missing from her backyard last week, she said. I'm just going to quit trying to talk like her. It makes me feel a bit stupid. She just disappeared. She was out playing before dinner, but wasn't there when her parents called out to her. The side gate was open, so they assumed she left that way, but don't know why or where she went. Just talking about it now makes me shiver. I couldn't imagine what her parents must have been going through. I've got an idea now of what happened, but I'll leave it for myself to explain. Well, Venus called me this morning and left a voicemail for me. Hey, I've been out at the McCormick's place all night, and I think I've got a clue about the girl. One that the cops have missed. 
You've got to meet me so we can talk. That was at like 3am or something. She's mental. Absolutely mental. But got me thinking. I went into work and told Beatrice that Venus knew something. I didn't bother telling Heidi. She wouldn't have understood. Beatrice was pretty interested, so I took her with me to meet the other guys at the Black Cup Cafe just off Murray Street. Venus hadn't been in that day, so it was at the cafe that I first saw her. She was pretty rough looking. Her hair was uh, like just freaking all over the place, and she had dirt smudged on her forehead and on the knees of her jeans. Tony and John were looking excited, and John jumped to his feet when we arrived. He only gave B a quick, curious glance before spewing his news out. Oh, B is what I call Beatrice. She likes it, and it's easier to say than Beatrice. Venus found something last night. John couldn't hold himself back, but managed to bite down his tongue and let Venus do some talking. Apparently, she went around to the McCormick place. It wasn't hard to find, as it had been plastered all over the place online. There was a pair of paw prints in the dirt outside the gate, but the McCormicks don't have a dog, and the size of the print meant it would have been a really big dog. She crawled on hands and knees up and down the drive in the dark and found more prints leading away from the house and onto the street. So she followed the street in the direction of the prints. She found herself in Bushland Park. The McCormicks were way out in the burbs where the bush park is common. She spent hours checking out the park and found herself in an historic graveyard from the 1800s which preserved as part of an old church that used to service the local farms before the place was urbanised. There, she found one of the graves was recently dug over. So, naturally, with nothing better to do at two in the morning, she dug through the turned earth and found a little girl's hair clip. This was the clue she'd found. She would have gone further, but she heard a sound and got frightened. She described it as a sort of the sound of timber creaking like an old house, except it came from underground. I had no idea then what that could be, but I'm hitting my books to see if I can find anything that might make sense. John and Tony were convinced it was a monster of some kind, something living in the graveyard, or rather, under the graveyard. B seemed really interested too. She suggested I look through my books for clues. So, after work, I came home and... Well, I'm just about to start digging through my books. This really is probably the most exciting thing ever. I don't know that little Jennifer's still alive. It seems unlikely. But if it was a monster that took her, crap. That's probably the scariest, while the most exciting thing I could ever think of. How many missing people could be attributed to monsters? Like, monster monsters, not just human monsters. Is the murder rate really as high as we think, or is some decent percentage caused by these things? Hmm, well, there can't be that many monsters, really. I mean, that Ruguru described would stand out a bit, at least here in Australia. There just aren't enough unexplained deaths, and certainly bloody massacres are rare enough that I can't even think of one off the top of my head. But in South and Central America, and Africa, parts of East Asia... And even in the States, I think there's plenty of them. I know Mexico has a problem with criminal gangs who supposedly leave bloody massacres in their wake. Are all of them caused by crime gangs, or do they have an unusually high proportion of monsters? I think we might be lucky in Australia. 
or maybe most monsters don't actually kill their victims and just take something from them, or what about shapeshifters who could take other forms? Ah, oh, there's too much. There's too much for me to think about. I'll start with this book in the unreadable script. Uh, it'll be the quickest. Uh, uh, okay, let's see this. Ah, uh, look here. Ah, oh, jeez, this book is badly organized. Okay, here there's a, a bunch of images of what look like botanical records and preparation techniques. There's also some pretty ugly looking faces and bodies drawn in here. I think they might be real critters. Well, they were real. Uh, there's little translated notes around a lot of the diagrams and pictures. Hmm. Oh, gee whiz, that book gave me the creeps. There's one picture towards the back of a creature that seems to have horse legs that stands upright with what looks like bear claws for hands, a dog head, and a single horn. The picture has a creature holding part of a dismembered person that it is clearly eating with great relish. Yikes. I realise I might meet one of them sooner rather than later. Or maybe I'll not meet anything or anyone again, or... I'll get the other journals organised, you'll find the next entry very educational. This is my exit plan. Thank you for listening. Please thank Tanya Regan for lending us her voice as Venus. The next episode will be available at the same time next week. In that episode, the narrator and his friends search the graveyard for Jennifer. For more information, visit gravityundone.net. If you enjoyed this, please tell your friends about it.